And so family is God's idea. But in time, this first family became a dysfunctional family. I mean, they only had one commandment and didn't keep it. And then they had some kids, and, and one of their sons killed another son and then ran off to a foreign country and married his sister. I mean, that could be Arkansas. But, but it, was, it was in the garden. And so it was a dysfunctional family. And the point is, here's what I want us to understand. We all come from dysfunctional families, all of it. It's in our genes. It's in our DNA. And so the question is, what do we do? I mean, if we're all part of a dysfunctional family, how do we become a strong, functional, God-honoring family, both physical and spiritual? Well, when this building was being converted from a car dealership slash lawnmower shop slash whatever else it was, Something had to happen inside this very room here. Uh, There had to be uh, something done to the foundation. This part of the building had to be changed. And so there were some cement trucks that that came in and backed up, and they, they poured out their contents in here, and it turned into a strong foundation that could be built upon. Thus, the building that we have now. And so... I know a little bit about construction, and I know that when you make, in order to pour a strong foundation, they put three components in those trucks. They put put cement, or if you're from Grant Parish, it's cement. They put cement. Marion's going to kill me. They put cement. They put aggregate, which is sand and gravel or crushed rock, and then they put water. It takes all three of those placed in that hopper and mixed up poured out in order to be a strong foundation. And if you leave any one of those three things out, then you don't have the strength. You don't, it doesn't turn into a strong concrete foundation. And so this morning, I want us to look at three things that it's going to take to have a strong foundation. Three components that we have to put together in order to have a, a strong foundation where we can function in a dysfunctional world, where we can function as even in a dysfunctional family. And and it's three things that's got to be mixed together and then poured out in order to have that strong foundation. And today we're going to see three components necessary in order to have our lives strong and functional. And and is functional a word? It is now. And, And in John chapter 12, John chapter 12, uh, we're going to find our text for this morning, and Pastor Brad's been, we've been camped out here in, in John 13 for uh, the past several weeks, and, and for good reason, man. It, it's just been, it's been some great teaching, and, and God has just spoken to my heart in so many ways, challenged me in, in so many ways, and so I want us to, to look back at, at, at the chapter prior to that, and we're going to see a, a family. We're going to see a family dynamic uh, in this family. And, and so let's just pick up in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover. Now, 
if you'll remember, the events that we've been looking at for the past several weeks have been centered around the time of the Passover. You know, the upper room and all the things going on around the table there. And, and so this is about a week prior to that. And, and what's happening is then in, uh, in John chapter 11, the chapter uh, previous, is when Jesus, you know the story how Jesus got a message that his friend had died, Lazarus had died, and they got a message to him, and, and four days later he showed up, and Lazarus was already dead. And so, so Jesus just walked right into the graveyard, and he called Lazarus by name, and he called him out of the grave, called him out of the tomb. Okay, so, so what we're seeing today is, is sandwiched kind of between those two things. And so it says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. Well, how prophetic was that? I mean, this was just a week prior to his arrest, crucifixion, and ultimate resurrection. Verse 9 says, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. And here's why. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Now, the first component that you've got to have, if you're going to learn to function in a dysfunctional world, if you're going to be a functioning family, even whether this is spiritual, physical, that's a great thing about the, uh, about the way God teaches us. In fact, many times when he wants to show us something uh, in, in the spiritual, he, he gives us a physical lesson. He, he, he outlines for us physically. And so, you know, whatever we talk about this morning, the principles apply either to your physical family or to our spiritual family here at church. And so the first component that you must have, if you're going to develop into uh, a, have a strong foundation to lay on, is that of worship. And we, we sang a lot about worship this morning. We, we, we talked a lot about it. We sang, you know, and we do talk a lot about worship. What, what is that? What is worship? What does it mean? What, a, what does worship look like? I could probably ask each of you and, and get it as, as many varied answers as there are people in this place. But I want us to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. Because there's a principle in Bible study, and it's called the, the principle of first mention. 
And, and basically what that means is many times when God introduces an idea, a word, a phrase, or a, a, a concept, that, that he very clearly outlines it the first time that he mentions it in the Bible. And so we're going to go back and look at this word worship as it appears the very first time. And, and so if you're back there in Genesis 22, we want to pick it up with, with verse number 1. It says, And it came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up, and went into the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, I love this, man. I love the King James, man, because, man, it's just so, the, the, the phrase is, is so precise. And let me just say this, that any time you're reading through there and you see the word, third, the phrase, third day, man, your ears and eyes ought to perk up because God's fixing to show you some resurrection power, all right? And then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young man, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and what? Worship. Get a hold of what's going on here. Isaac is that son of promise. He's the one that, that, that God said, Abraham, I'm going to give you this boy. And through him, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. There's going to be so many that they can't even be counted. And God said, Abraham, and this boy is probably 20 years old at this time. And, and, and God said, Abraham, I want you to take that son that I promised you, and I want you to take him up on the Mount Moriah and I want you to lay him on the altar and I want you to sacrifice him to me and Abraham called it what? Worship are you kind of getting the picture here? What, what, what worship is? he said I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you and Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. Man, there's just so many. Such a beautiful picture here. Can't you see, see that? Man, what a type and shadow of Christ to come. Man. And he laid it upon Isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and knife and, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for a burnt offering? This wasn't Isaac's first day at school. He, he, had, seen, he had seen this before. He had seen the, the altar. He had seen the fire. He had seen the wood. He had seen the knife. He had seen all of this before. But, but always before, there was a lamb to go along with that. And Isaac said, Dad, I, I, I you know... <laughs> I understand what's going on here, and I understand we got everything we need except a lamb. Verse 8 says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So they went both of them together. 
And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him upon the altar of the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand on the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. This is the first time that we see the word worship in the word of God. And it is related to offering something, the most precious thing that Abraham had on the altar of God. You see, we've come to think that worship is coming to church and getting our spiritual buzz on. You see, that, that's, that's what many of us think that worship is. We, we think that worship is, is, is coming and, and getting jazzed. You know, wor- worship, though, is the giving of something that is very precious. Worship is... is hearing the voice of God and and doing what He says. Worship is more than a feeling that comes over you. And our culture has been so programmed to where all our mindset is totally get, get, get. What can I get? What can I, man, I just didn't get anything out of that worship. You know what? Well, maybe, maybe, you know, we think that all we're going to do is get when God is saying, what are you going to give? What are you going to give? Here's a radical idea. Have you ever considered that worship may be you giving something that is most precious to you, taking that and laying it on the altar before God and saying, it's all yours, God. It's all yours. What does worship look like? For Abraham, worship... Looked like laying the most precious thing on this earth to him on the altar of God. I mean, this was the son of promise. And there must have been so much going through Abraham's mind as, as he heard that word and as he was just walking that out in his life. But Abraham had walked with God before. Abraham had, had, had learned that he could trust God. And so for Abraham, worship looked like offering the most precious thing. For Mary, uh, back over in in John, worship looked like pouring out the most precious thing that she owned onto the feet of Jesus. This oil, this, this ointment that Mary poured out could have easily been a, a year's wages or maybe more. In fact, people, people of that day would, would buy this ointment as, a, as an investment. Much like people would buy, you know, much like people buy precious metals today. You know, that, that could have even been her retirement or, or part of it. I, I don't know, but, but here's what I do know. That, that it was very costly, it was very expensive, and, and, and it was very precious. And yet she was willing to pour it out. In fact, when Mark describes this scene, 
Mark tells us that she broke the box that it was in. She broke the container that it was in. So she didn't just dab a little on. She didn't just dab a little on his feet and call it good. She broke it. And can I, can I just tell you this morning that, that I submit to you that I believe that that's what real worship is, that it's not holding anything back, that it's being broken and poured out before God, giving of the most precious thing that we have. And we love to talk about worship, but we don't like to talk about the cost or the sacrifice that is associated with it. Is it really worship if it doesn't cost us anything? Is, is it really worship? If we aren't willing to lay the most precious thing that we have on the altar of God, is it really worship if we aren't broken and, and poured out? But the problem is we don't, want, we don't want to be broken. We don't want to be completely poured out. You see, we always want to keep some in reserve. We always want to keep something back for us. So, worship. What does it look like? For Abraham, look like offering his son. For Mary, look like pouring out the ointment. What does it look like in your life? What's the most precious thing you have? Usually when I ask that, the, 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 the number one answer is time. <laughs> time. You can't truly worship God that you don't know. And you don't get to know someone without spending some time with them. Back in the 60s, we, a couple of us were talking about this the other day, back in the 60s, which is well before my time. But back, back in the 60s, it, it, was, it was predicted that, that by, you know, the, the late 90s or, or into the, the, the 21st century, that, that there would be about a 20 to 30 hour work week because of all the technology and all the modern conveniences and all things coming out, that, that we would be down to about a 20, 30-hour work week. In fact, in fact, it was said at that time that, that one of the greatest challenges that people in America was going to face in the 21st century is what to do with all that leisure time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Does that describe your life? Certainly not mine. My goodness. Man, there's a place. I wish I'd have brought the picture of it. There's a place. There's a place in Haiti. And it's holy ground. There, there's, there's a little strip between the two huts where we stay there on that mountain. And I can tell you, it is a place where I believe that I've worshipped God as I've never worshipped before. It's a place where the stars are so close you can touch them. It, it's a place that, that we have literally watered the ground with our tears. It's a place where we have heard from God like never before. It's a place where we have sensed God's presence 
in ways that I can't even begin to describe. In fact, we often talk about it when, when God just, man, draws us into His presence. We, we talk about how, how do you go back and how do you describe that experience? And, 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 and the reality is we, we can't. But as I was thinking about that, I, I'm thinking, you know what, that's, that's you know, I, I don't believe that there's just a, you know, some kind of a special portal from there to heaven or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't believe that, but, but here's what I do believe. That it's a place where we're there, where we get separated from all the things that just pull us down and pull us back. And it's a place where we're not in a hurry to get somewhere else. It, you know, where we got to hurry up and finish something so we can get on to something else. Because I'm telling you, it shuts down at dark, period. <laughs> and, and so, it, it, I believe that it's that the reason that we worship God there in that way is because we make time for God there like never before. Like we don't do in other places, in other times. Why is that? We just, man, we just rush through life. We don't have time to, to really worship, to sit at His feet, to hear His voice. Experience His presence. You know, this morning, all across America, there are literally millions of people in what we call worship services. But I wonder how many would truly worship. You see, most of us spend what little time that we do have trying to learn more about God, which is not necessarily bad, but we don't really have time to interact with God. You see, what most of us are looking for is human comfort instead of divine confrontation. Go back with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah. I want you to see something here. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, we're going to peek in on a worship service that the prophet Isaiah had. In Isaiah chapter 6, it, verse 1 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. I, I believe that, that that's key to worship right there, is understanding the rightful place that God has. Above it stood, a ser above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of His glory. And the post of the door moved, and the, and the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, then one flew, then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. You see, before there could ever be a sin me, there must first be a woe is me. And before there could be a woe is me, we have to come into the very presence of Almighty God. Because I'm telling you that you can't come into God's presence and go away the same way as you came. You can't do that. You just can't. It'll change you. When, when God called Moses to come up and meet him on that mountain, they got back. Man, they had to put a toe sack over his head because he looked different. You can't come into God's presence and it not change you. And I'm convinced that the reason we don't worship like we ought to worship is because we don't see God for who He is and we don't see ourselves for who we are and we don't give what is precious to us in order to get to know God. The reason we don't worship is because we don't love God. first time the first time we ever went to Haiti it was one of those spy out the land kind of deals we didn't we really didn't know what even where God was going to take us or what he was going to do with us there but but by his divine direction we wound up on that mountain and a few hundred yards down from the place where we stay is Pastor Munoz's main church building we're about uh, maybe just a little bit bigger than this room. They pack about 400 people in there on Sunday morning. But one Friday night, man, we could, we could hear them singing and praying and praising all through the night. And in fact, we, we got up really early the next morning and we went down to the, to the church and they were still, man, they were still going. They were praying. And and we had been struggling with, with where God was taking us. What was he going to do with us? And, and was this even the place, Lord? And, and, and all of these things were going through our mind. And, and we went and we stepped up on the steps of that building. It was like the presence and the power and the peace of God washed over us. And we could hear his voice saying, this is the place. But, but here's what I want to say to you. The first Friday night of every month, they meet at 8 o'clock at night. And they pray and they preach and they praise and they, they till 4 o'clock the next morning. And as we were sitting up there in the wee hours of the morning, we could hear them from, from the place where we were staying. Pastor Brad said something about how much they must love God. And I said, yeah, and I said, you know, I said, I think for many of us, we're in love with the idea of loving God that much. But we don't really love Him that much. 
Because if we did, it would change us. It, it would change us. You, you see, we will worship what we love the most. And many times it's not God. And so how can you tell what you love the most? What gets your time? You know, there's this, there's this big hoopla about, has been for a while, about worship styles. Worship music. What the heck is that? I mean, really? What, what, is, what is that? What, what, it, what does it matter? That, that's the point. The problem has never been how to worship. The problem has always been who do we worship? That's the problem. And I'm telling you what we see from Isaiah is it's easy to substitute Man's fireworks today for the fire of God. And firecrackers, they make a lot of noise, create a lot of excitement, but they are a far cry from the cleansing, consuming fire of God. Man, Isaiah, as he entered into worship, he was convicted, he was cleansed, and then he was commissioned. And I submit to you this morning that worship that that does not result in sacrifice, surrender, and service. Can it really be called worship? We won't take the time to go there, but over in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, God kind of pulls the curtain back just a little bit and lets John take a peek into what's going on in heaven. And there's a worship service going on in heaven that John gets to look in on. As I was reading through that, I noticed that 17 times in 25 verses, John mentions a throne. And so when we come to worship, we're coming to a throne. We're coming to bow before the Lord that is on that throne. We're surrendering ourselves to Him. You see, when Mary came to the feet of Jesus, she was taking the place of a slave. She was taking the place of, of surrender. And when she let down her, her hair, she humbled herself and, and she laid her glory at, at His feet. And so worship, listen to me, worship is going to that throne and is saying, Lord, I'm surrendering myself to You today. I want You, Lord, on the throne of my heart. Help me to die to myself today so that I can live for You. And so the first component, the first component of building a strong, functioning family is worship. And real quick, we're going to go through the next two. The, the, the next one, the second component is work. Verse 2 says in, in John 12, he says, There they made him a supper, and Martha served. Now, now sometimes I think Martha gets a bum rap. Because oftentimes, uh, Martha is contrasted with Mary in the fact that, that Mary's a worshiper and, and Martha's a worker. Here's what I believe. I believe that Christ is honored when we worship like Mary and we work like Martha. You see, I think Martha learned a lesson. 
in, in Luke chapter 10, we won't, we won't take time to go there, but in Luke chapter 10, Jesus rebuked her. You remember that story, how, how she was, man, she was, they, they, they had a supper there, and, 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 and so Jesus rebuked her for work, working without worshiping. That, in fact, that's what she's most known for. When you, when you mention Martha's name, more often than not, that's what you think about. You think about the time when, when they had that supper and, 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 and there again, you know what? Three times we see this Mary mentioned. All three times she's at the feet of Jesus. But here's Martha, uh, back, in, back in Luke chapter 10, here's Martha, Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing the word of the Lord, he, hearing his words. Martha's up, the, the Bible says, cumbered about much serving. And so, you know, Martha's running around doing this and doing that, and there's Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. And, and, and Martha comes and says, Jesus, why don't you tell that lazy sister of mine to get up and help me? Now, I know you've never done that, right? You've never told Jesus what he needs to do to straighten out one of your family members, right? Never. Martha did that. <laughs> but you know what? What struck me as I was reading this in John 12, there's no rebuke. <laughs> there's, there's no rebuke. Jesus didn't say, now Martha, you, you hadn't learned your lesson. You, no. There, there, there's no. There's no rebuke. There, there, there's just, listen, there's something different this time. Before, her work was a burden to her. But this time, it seems to me as though this work was an outflow of her worship. Some folks have said, well, <clears throat> you know, Pastor, I'm, a, I'm not a worker like Martha, but I'm a worshiper like Mary. I said, you know what, there's a, there's a, that, that, that's a condition. And in fact, in fact, there is, there is actually a Greek word to diagnose that condition. That, that you are a worshiper like Mary, but not a worker like Martha. And that Greek word is baloney. Because I'm telling you that if you worship like you ought to worship, then you will work like you ought to work. See, it will be a natural outflow of that. Yeah, I don't think you can help it because you'll be so in love with, with, the, with the one whose feet where you've been that it will motivate you to want to get up. You don't got to do it. You get to do it. And that's the difference. It's, it's the difference in the attitude. You see, we, it, it's not an either-or proposition. So in order to have a strong and functionable foundation, these components, man, they, they, you can't, you remove any one of them and the strength is not there. And so there's worship and then there's work and the third one is witness. Look, look with me. Ver, verse number one says, Then six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus was. Okay? Verse nine says, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And talking about Jesus, 
And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus. Verse 11 says, Because that by reason of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews went away and believed on who? Lazarus? No, Jesus. It was his witness. See, you know what's amazing to me? There's not a single solitary word not a single word recorded that Lazarus ever spoke. Not one. And yet we're told right here that many people came to know Jesus because of him. Isn't that amazing? Wow. Many people came to Bethany not just to see Jesus, but to see the miraculous life that Lazarus was living. And let me just tell you something. When we begin to worship God, when we begin to work for God, people will begin to see a miraculous change that takes place in our life and they will want to know how it came about and then you will be able to share the love of Jesus with them. Worship. Work. Witness. You see, you remove any one of those three and you take the strength away. You can't have that strong foundation. You won't have the strength to be a functional family. It just won't be there. Pastor Brad talked about it last week. He talked about bringing balance into our life. This is the same principle. You've got to have these things. They've got to be mixed together in the right proportions, and they've got to be poured out. You can't leave it in a truck. It's got to be poured out. And these things apply to the physical family and the spiritual. And so I wonder if what I've talked about this morning, does it describe you? Does it describe your family? You know, we're committed as a church family to building strong families based upon the Word of God. And if worship work and witness doesn't describe you and your family then I'm here to tell you you're missing God's best any one of these things by itself is good any two of these things by themselves are good but you've got to put them all together for God's best and you know what is sad to me? So many of us, I believe, are sacrificing the good for the best. You know, it's all got to be put together. So what do you do? You, you find that place of worship. And you work your schedule around it. I am so blessed every single morning I get a text and it's a text from part of my spiritual family and every single morning I can tell that that person has been at the feet of Jesus and they've heard the voice of God and they send me something that they've heard a prayer that they've prayed for me 
a word that God has spoken to them during that time. Oh, I can't tell you how encouraging that is to me. Folks, it's important that you find that place where you can separate yourself. Let me just tell you, I, I, I believe that we have some incredible worship in here on Sundays. I, I worship God, and, and I know that you do, and, and I know that, that, that the musicians and the leaders, they lead us in worship because they have been in worship. But I'm telling you that once a week's not enough. The strength won't be there. And I encourage you to find that place. Find that time where you can just sit at His feet and you can just pour yourself out on Him. It's important that in this crazy, these crazy schedules that we keep, you say, well, I, you know, I got work and I got family and I got church and you know what here's what God says it's not you got work over here and you got family over here and you got church over here no God says look let's let's get our arms around all of it let's let's bring it all together and that's where the strength is here's a radical idea some have said, Pastor, I just don't have time to, to, to do anything in the service of the Lord or I'll neglect my family. Why don't you bring your family in and serve the Lord together? Find ways that you can, you can do things together as a family and, and pouring yourself out in, in service to Him. You know, that's a radical idea. And, and you know what I find is that, that many times when you're doing that, when you're serving together, Man, there's a bond that begins to form. The same is true with our spiritual family. Our family connections group got together last week and we came up to the church and we worked. Man, how, how awesome was that? I, that? I drew strength from that, that. That I could walk a little further, stand a little taller, work a little harder. Find that place to worship. Find a way to work. And, and then be ready to give a witness. Because as you begin to do that, people will take notice. And they'll ask you, what's, what's going on in your life, man? There's something different. He said, let me tell you what's different. Let me tell you what's different. And so I wonder today, would you let today be a turning point in your life? I wonder this morning, would you have the courage to dedicate yourself or your family to God today? I wonder if you would be willing to present yourself a, a living sacrifice today as, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 calls us to do. That You see, the problem with a, with a living sacrifice is that, man, it can crawl off the altar. And that's why we have to die every single day. Die to ourselves, so that we can live in Christ Jesus. What's the most precious thing that you have? Are you willing to sacrifice it to God so that He can resurrect?
I want you to bow your heads with me. Lord, I come asking, Lord, that you take this time. Lord, we offer it to you. This is your time. We, we lay it before you. God, may we sacrifice it to you in worship today. And so, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I, I believe you've spoken, Lord. I believe your Holy Spirit has stirred some hearts today. And God, I pray that we would have the courage that Abraham had to say, I don't understand it all. I don't know what all it means. But God, I trust you. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to hear your voice. I'm going to do what you say. Lord, as we have a time of invitation... Lord, every time that I, that I see that, that you confronted people with your word, you always demanded a response. And God, I pray that we would respond today in a way that would be pleasing to you. So, Father, take this time. Use it in any way that would bring honor and glory to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand if you would. have some folks down here that'll meet you. If you need somebody to pray with you, pray